0: You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 17. It's going to be Matthew is the first of four Gospels. Gospel is simply the word for good news. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the New Testament. And they're uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, what he has come to do on our behalf. So don't be afraid of the table of contents. Um, We don't do that here. We don't shame people for not knowing their Bible. Um, So please use that. Get there however you can. Maybe a device. Google will help you. Um, Google's really good at not shaming you sometimes. Um, so get there however you can. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 17. So Matthew is a tax collector um, who is transformed by the, the calling of Jesus to follow him. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us his account of all that Jesus has come to accomplish. So We have seen Matthew introduce us to Jesus in many ways. So some some of those were, uh, remember, his miraculous birth, um, his extraordinary healings, his his other miracles, and his astonishing teaching throughout the book. Think uh, the Sermon on the Mount. They were astonished at it, right? That's how that ends. He also introduces us to Jesus by introducing us to people who don't quite understand or get Jesus. We've seen this many times, and we'll see it again in our text today. People who encounter Jesus and completely miss him, people who even walk with him and don't understand. All the way up to chapter 16, um, I think it's important to, to, this will help set the context for where we're at. But in chapter 16, where Jesus takes them to, to the northeast regions, right? This is going to be like the Gentile regions. This is going to be territory where they're not recognized or known. And when they're least likely to be recognized, he wants to teach them something about who he is. This is where Jesus asks the two questions. Who do they say that I am? And who do you say that I am? We see the great confession of Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but, but we saw that Peter didn't say that on his own uh, merit or his own wit. Thank you. There was a re- revelation from God himself. He imparted this knowledge of who Jesus is to him, And on that profession, Jesus says that this is what I'm going to build my church on. That upon a people who proclaim that what God has done, namely sent a remedy for the brokenness and sin that has been caused in this world, his son. He has sent his son. Following this, we see Jesus predict his death and resurrection for the first time. And Peter takes him aside, again, missing it, missing the hope of the resurrection. Peter says, no way is this going to happen to you. Jesus pulls him aside, and while he just told him that God is revealing things to him, he turns and says, get behind me, Satan, for you're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your, things, your eyes on the things of God, but on the things of man. So that's where we've been, and then we find ourselves in chapter 17. So what we'll find um, in chapter 17 is kind of broken up into multiple sections. Um, the The first week in chapter 17, we saw the divine glory of Jesus. Where Jesus takes a few of his disciples up a mountain where they see him transfigured and with him are Moses and Elijah. Moses to point that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and Elijah to point to the fulfillment of the prophets. The glory of Jesus is revealed to them. And then last week we considered the patient power of Jesus as he rebukes a demon. This week we'll be invited to consider the willing sacrifice of Jesus the certain victory of Jesus, and the humble authority of Jesus. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 through 27. Um, And before I do that, I want to pray and ask God to bless our time. God, thank you for this time. Um, Thank you that you use broken people because that's all there is to deliver your good news. Thank you for using uh, me in this moment. I, I pray that... I would do justice to what you want to say through your word. Thank you for the grace and the the provisions provided in order for that to be true. Help us to understand who you are, what you've done to, to adopt us as your children in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 22. As they were gathered in Galilee, Jesus told them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Jesus is not subject to anyone. He cannot be forced into anything. He is not obligated to us, and Jesus does not owe us. No one can overpower Jesus. The first two verses of the text today include another prediction of Jesus' death and resurrection. In chapter 16, we see a similar prediction of of it, and I want to put, um, put it into context and compare the two. So if you... Flip back a couple pages, maybe it's one page. And we're going to look at that. In chapter 16, he tells the disciples that he must go to the cross. He must. There's something that Jesus has come to accomplish on your behalf and mine, and it requires... Him to go to the cross. He must. Here in chapter 17, he uses a different phrase. He says that he will be delivered. In other words, he will be handed over. Or worse, he will be betrayed. And I don't think that this was an accident. I think Jesus knew what he was doing and what he was trying to teach his disciples by using different terms. And here it is. So not only does Jesus go to the cross because he must, he is delivered to prove to us that he is willing. Not only does Jesus go to the cross because he must, he is delivered to prove to us that he is willing No one can force Jesus into anything. He goes not only because he must, but to show you and I exactly what he is willing to do. That the hands of the humans that he created would be the very hands with which he is delivered into the authorities by the will of the Father. He's willing. Maybe that's all you needed to hear today. He's willing. Rest in that. He didn't do it out of obligation because he couldn't weasel his way out of it. He did it because he wanted to. For the joy set before him, the Bible tells us, he died for you and me. Uh, One commentarian and pastor, as he writes about this, um, says it this way. No one can overpower this man. He is God in the flesh. Who can take him on? If Jesus died at the hands of men, which he did, it is clearly because he chose to die. This was no accident. Sinful men killed him but only because he walked into their hands at the father's bidding. In John 10, Jesus says about his life, "No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for on my own accord." You see sin has grave consequences. You may be sitting in here today as we speak and you feel the weight of all the ways that you feel sh- fall short have been there sin is deserving of punishment what you and i deserve for our unbelief and turning away from god and the things that cause us to pursue other things it it deserves punishment an eternal separation from God, plain and simple. Will you just for a moment sit with me and think about that? The things you've done and the things that have done to you that does not live up to the glory of God deserves punishment. And God sees it, And he knows it. He was there when it happened. And in order for him to be good, he cannot just forgive and forget. He can't be good and leave sin unpunished. Somebody needs to pay. And so this is good news, isn't it? Jesus is the willing substitute. He says, yeah, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll go and take the punishment for the sins of the world. And this is the Father's good pleasure to send him. Which leads us to the next thing that we're invited to consider. We see the willing sacrifice of Jesus. He can't be forced So when it says he's delivered, it's kind of like, well, kind of. He willingly goes. And then he says, and I will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. The disciples missed Jesus again. Did you see their response? They were greatly distressed. Mark and Luke record this, um, and they use the words, they did not understand. Matthew says they were distressed. And I looked up the definition of distress. Suffering from anxiety, sorrow, or pain. So they heard Jesus say, I'm going to die. They're gonna, I'm going to be handed over, and they're going to kill me. But don't worry. That's not how it ends. And their response was anxiety, sorrow, pain, Some translations say they grieved. They were grieved. The first time Jesus tells them in chapter 16 that he's going to be killed, but he will be raised again, Peter rebukes him. And now we see the disciples hear this and are overwhelmed with great sorrow. For the second time, Jesus, in effect, is saying, Don't worry, this doesn't end in death. And for the second time, his disciples miss it. It can be easy on this side of the resurrection to think they're idiots or, you know, like, what are you doing? But we know what this looks like. We see this all the time. I can tell you that Jesus rose from the dead and as sure as his resurrection is true, so is your security in him. I can tell you, I can stand here and tell you that Jesus died and he was like, dude, like dead. Like, actually dead. But it wasn't the end of the story. And if it was, that'd be soul-crushing. Come and see where he lay. He's not here. He's risen. Your eternity and mine is paid for by the willing sacrifice of Jesus, secure in his resurrection. I can tell you all that. And you might still go, yeah, but... What about, you know, the future and security of my job, my marriage, my singleness, my finances, my family, my church, my country, my president, God help us, not my president. As soon as you say, yeah, but, we've missed it. Each week we we gather here for an hour or so and we sing together about the good news of Jesus' resurrection and we try to yell at you about it. And what do we leave here talking about? How good or bad the music was? How long or short the sermon was? How welcoming or not welcoming the people were? How loud or quiet the kids are? how loud or quiet the adults are, I guess, too. It's okay, we like that. I like, give me some amens and mm. Thank you. (laughs) But what what do we leave here talking about? There are a million things that we talk about as we leave this place each Sunday. My prayer is that we would leave here thinking one thing, and that is Christ and him crucified, buried, risen for your salvation and mine. That's it. And that the Holy Spirit would keep reminding us every time we forget. Do not miss this. If you're leaving here today and you remember one thing, or talk about one thing, remember and talk about that. That the God of the universe, who made everything perfect, sees your sin and mine and cannot leave it unpunished. He sends his son to take the penalty that we deserve, nails it to the cross with him, Colossians tells us, and then he's raised victoriously on the third day. Don't buy into anything else, please. This takes us to the next section. Says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth take toll or tax, from their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not giving offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth there will be a, you will find find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. There's so much here. Um, this is not usually the first section of Matthew that people think of when they think of the book of Matthew. You might think of the miracles he performs or the you know, the interaction with Peter about building his church, um, or the Great Commission at the end of the, the chapter or the book. Most people don't think of this passage, but it's very important. It has so much meaning, and I pray that the Lord would be gracious to me as I try to unpack it. It has application for us, for our ministry, for our church, for our mission, but before we get into all of that, um, there are some observations here that I think are important in order for us to understand what's going on. So we, first, we see them that they're going to take a tax. Uh, most of the time, when you, in this context anyway, when you think of taxes, you probably think of the Roman Empire, the Romans collecting taxes. And um, one of the interesting things about this passage is that it doesn't show up in any of the other gospels. It's, it's very specific to Matthew. And if you remember, Matthew is a tax collector or was a tax collector. And that, that, so that shouldn't surprise us. After all, he, he's, a, he's a numbers guy. And so based on the way God has wired Matthew, he sees something here that he wants to share for us in order for us to see something else about Jesus. It's like... It's like if I told you about Jesus and I used words or terms like healer or great physician and you know the people in the medical world just like perked up, you're like, I know that. I've been there. I know a lot about that. Matthew um, was a tax collector. And so when he sees Jesus have this conversation with Peter and recounts it, he, he perks up. He's like, this is profound. I need to write about this. And so the Romans, including Matthew, at one point would impose taxes to fuel their empire, and almost always um, it was used, the money was used in horrible ways. So when we hear "tax" in this in this particular moment, we might think the tax levied on the people to fuel the empire that was expanding, right? In order that they could collect more taxes, I'm sure. but this actually has nothing to do with that. The tax talked about here specifically was a true drachma tax. It was a tax for the upkeep of the temple. You may have heard it called the temple tax or the ransom tax. Every male of a certain age or older would have to pay this, the two drachmas. It's about two days worth of wages, one or two. It comes from the book of Exodus. In Exodus 30, it says, The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you you number them. That there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in census shall give this. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. the Shekel is 20 geras and half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give to the Lord's offering. I don't want you to miss something here that that Matthew is doing. Um, He's done it before. And even here we see little hints that Matthew is throwing out to us about who Jesus is. Jesus takes the place of sinners. Sinners were paying these taxes. This was a tax paid by sinners for atonement. We are already hearing and being reminded of the gospel by the way Matthew recounts this, aren't we? Jesus ends up paying the tax in order to say, I take the place of sinners. So this wasn't a civil tax, this wasn't like a tax you'd you think. Uh, it was paid by sinners for atonement and access to God in the temple. It's how the priests and the facilities were funded. They didn't pass around an offering plate. They collected this tax. I don't know why I went like this. We don't do that. Anyway. And with what I think is genuine curiosity... By the way, we see this also uh, at the baptism of Jesus, right? John the Baptist is like, wait, I should be, you should be doing, get it? Like, no, I'm in the place of sinners. And with what I think is great curiosity, they ask Peter, does your teacher pay this? Does Jesus pay this? Does he not pay this? Now, whether they expected it from Jesus or not isn't clear, uh, but they may have been asking with genuine curiosity. Because remember, they were back in a place where they were recognized. And so these people may have seen Jesus speak with authority, for example, heal people. And there were, this tax wasn't levied on certain people. Was, There's was people that were exempt from it. For example, people who lived for charity, which Jesus and his disciples certainly did. Or rabbis, they didn't pay this tax, and we see multiple times him be addressed as rabbi. So they're in a place where they're recognized, so they could genuinely be asking, wait, does he, does he not? So while it's unclear whether they expected it or not, or if they were just curious, they ask, does Jesus intend to pay this temple tax? We don't know why, but Jesus just says, yes, of course he's going to pay it. Of course, yes. And then he goes back to the house, and it says that Jesus spoke first. We're, giving an ins- we're given an insight into the divinity of Jesus here, aren't we? He does this on multiple occasions, his ability to know exactly what happened, or the conversations that took place, or even the ability to read minds. Like, they thought, and then Jesus addressed their thoughts, and you're like, well, Okay. His initiative here is a profound pointer to the sovereignty of the Christ. He asks Peter a question addressing him as Simon. He says, what do you think, Simon? He gives him an analogy. From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus told him, then the sons are free. Those who are adopted by God in Christ are free. The picture he creates in this, he says there's a king. And does the the king tax his sons or others? Other translations might say, does he tax uh, his sons or strangers? Well, of course they don't tax their sons. (laughs) They protect their own. They, they're collecting from others to build something for their sons. So Jesus asked Peter, who, who do the kings collect a tax from? Peter says others, strangers, which is exactly right. It would be silly to think, you know, we're, we're redoing how we're doing taxes. Can, you, can we ask, you know, Johnny for more? This doesn't make any sense. And Jesus responds by saying, Then the sons are free, exempt, under no obligation to pay this tax. It is a slight rebuke to Peter, or maybe not slight, but it's a rebuke to Peter. He got the answer right, but Jesus doesn't want to let him just get away with that, with just having the right answers. He wants to teach him something about why it's the right answer. By revealing something to him about himself. Jesus is exempt and under no obligation to pay this tax. Why? Because he is the son of God himself. And the temple for which the tax is meant to upkeep, right? The house, whose house is it? Gods. If we read quickly through this, we can miss it, and and Jesus is under no obligation to anyone because his Father is God himself. Jesus is the Son of God and the temple by which we have access to God. Jesus is the Son of God and the temple by which we have access to God. He's saying to Peter, Peter, I'm not obligated to pay this because of who I am. I am the Son of God. I am the true and better temple by which people will have access to him. Let's stop for a second. Do you hear the implications for you and me here? You might have missed it, and I want to read to you out of Galatians because it says it way better than I can. Galatians 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Because of what God has done in Christ, we are now adopted into his family, and therefore, we are free. He invites us into this kind of sonship. You and I are now brothers and sisters of Jesus. He is our big brother. Sharing all the benefits that come with that title, right? Namely, freedom. So is this saying that Christians shouldn't pay taxes? No, please pay your taxes. Don't mess with the IRS. We will see the implications of this for us in the next couple of verses because even though he is under no obligation to pay it, he does it anyway. So he says to Peter, However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Jesus is showing his miraculous provision here, isn't he? But first he says, however not to give an offense to them. He's saying that he will pay this, but not because he's obligated, because he's not obligated, but because he doesn't want to unnecessarily cause anyone to stumble away for seeing him for who he is. He considers the tax collector. Imagine that. Jesus denies his rights in order to bless others. He likely considered what this tax collector might have to go through if he does not collect this tax. What he might experience or even what he might do in order to maybe force his way through it. So he provides for it through miraculous means. He sends Peter to drop a hook. Uh, one pastor I heard talk about this. I'm not a fisherman. I was like, man, I don't have any fishing analogies. This is... I'm going to need the Holy Spirit here. And so here we go. I'm just going to tell you what somebody else said. This one. One pastor I heard say, talk about this it was describing what it's like to go fishing. And, he, he, and I've, I've, I have been a couple of times. And it's just waiting. And... I know what you're thinking if you're a fisherman you're probably like yeah but it's the experience and like being in nature I was like okay well then call it that don't don't call it fishing if it's just waiting (laughs) anyway Jesus loves people who go fishing he calls them to be his disciples but he does call them away from it so Anyways, he says, that, he says that even on a good day, and maybe you're fisherman, fisherwoman, you, 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 you know what this is like, even on a good day you don't catch much, you don't catch many fish, um, and you certainly don't catch a fish by only dropping the hook. There is no reason that Jesus, one, couldn't have just made a shekel appear out of thin air, um, And so I like to think, like, all the miraculous means, like, all the, wow, that would be crazy. So I just, like, picture on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a guy, like, drops four days of wages accidentally into the sea, 400 bucks, I don't know how much you make a day. And then a fish grabs it and swims all the way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Peter drops a hook. And it's like, wow, that looks delicious. I'm going to eat that hook. And boom. What? That's silly. But here's here's what I think we get from this. What Matthew is trying to show us about Jesus. Sometimes Christians will need to do things in this world that we are not obligated to do for the sake of our mission. We now live not out of obligation, but out of freedom that we receive in Christ. Sometimes there will be things because, because we are obligated to Christ and his kingdom that we will not be obligated to in this world, on this earth. And we will do these things not because we're obligated, but because we're on a mission. This will happen. You will have to go places that you're not obligated to go. You will have to love people that you don't think you're obligated to love. You will have to do things that you are not obligated to do. This will happen. And Jesus, by miraculous means, will provide everything you need in order to do so. We can trust God's miraculous provision as we live on mission in this world. We can trust God's miraculous provision as we live on mission in this world. He will provide everything necessary for life and godliness. We can trust him to do so. We will need tons of grace. He will supply it. We will need tons of patience. He will supply it we will need tons of energy. He will give you rest. We live now not wielding our rights or our privileges for our own self-service, but sacrificing for the service of others. We now, as, as Philippians says, count others as more significant than ourselves. And he will supply every need for these things to be true of you and me as we wrap up today um, I want to tie all of this together so first we heard about Jesus you know, predicting his death and now we're talking about taxes and fish that have money in their mouths maybe that's why you fish I just, it just occurred to me <laughs> it just occurred to me that's why you fish I don't know Our reading today started with the, willing, the willingness of Jesus to pay for something. Jesus is not obligated to pay the temple tax, and he surely is not obligated to pay for the debt for your sins and mine. But he does it anyway. Jesus is not obligated to anything. Why would we think that he's obligated to pay our debt? Every opportunity he had to back out, he should have. He had every right to. But did you hear it? He laid his rights aside in order to bless those who he came to save. He laid his rights aside to pay the debt that you and I owe to the king of the universe for our sins. Every opportunity he had, he should have, man, if it was me, I would have backed out. Been like, forget these people. There's not a single thing that you can do, will, de- will do, have done, or have thought for which Jesus did not willingly already make provision for. Not a single thing. And that's good news. And it's available for all who might believe. So how do we respond to this? I think in a couple of ways. One, because of because of what Jesus has done, we now live for his glory and his fame. We live for the fame and glory of Jesus. As we've studied this book, I hope we've had the end in mind. Where in Matthew 28, he calls us to a mission. This whole thing ends in a mission. Go, make disciples of all nations. Have you looked around? The world needs this hope, do they not? We need it. There's people in this room who need this hope. There's people in your workplace who need this hope. There's people in your home that need this hope. There's people in positions of power and authority that need this hope. There's people in countries that we've even forgotten exist who need this hope. There's people in schools. There's people, goodness help us, in Walmart. Pay attention. The Lord is giving you opportunities to tell people about the hope that you have that they they don't. I often invite my gospel community to pray for awareness uh, because I think the, the Lord gives you opportunities gives me opportunities and we just miss it it's just like i didn't see anybody who's not a believer today it's like so we ask the holy spirit to to open our eyes and see all the opportunities that he's placed around us in order to share the hope of christ we pray for humility right last week we saw we don't hide our need our own need for this You don't need to know all the answers. We can be like the blind man whose sight was restored. I don't know what you guys are talking about. All I know is that I was blind, and now I'm not blind anymore. The second thing that I think we have as a response is that we long for the day when he comes back. Jesus promises to return And he will bring us home with him. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The effects of sin will be no more. He will wipe away your tears with his very hand, the one hand that was pierced for your transgressions and mine. And we will gather around his throne and we will simply praise him for who he is and what he's done. We just did this a second ago. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Have you heard? Have you heard of this good news? Will you receive it? Let's pray and ask God that we will in in Jesus' name. God, thank you for... This time, Jesus, thank you that even though you were not obligated, you willingly and for the joy set before you endured the cross on our behalf. You have taken all that is broken about us and about this world, and you have brought it with you to the grave. And while those things could not, you rose victoriously. For those who have received this, I pray that you would encourage them with your Holy Spirit, that you would remind us of these things when we forget. For those who maybe haven't yet received this hope, I pray that you would grant them faith, that they would look to you as their only hope, that they would taste and see your goodness, and that their lives would be transformed forever. Give us opportunities to share this hope as we long for the day of your, tur- your return to make all things new. And as we do, we look to you as you provide everything that we need to live for your renown. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and believe. Amen.